Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-Yard NFL Podcast. Yes, welcome in everybody. Another week of NFL action. Near enough in the books, just the one Monday night football game to conclude. But I think it's safe to say this, Steve, was probably the craziest week we've had yet so far this season. My Pickham's record at uh, nine o'clock Sunday night read one and nine on the week. We'll leave it at that in terms of how crazy it was, mate. But uh, welcome in, buddy. How are you tonight? Yeah, um, trying to make sense of what is this chaotic season and we've uh, we've um, decided to uh, draft in our agent of chaos for the week to uh, see if he can explain what is going on but yeah it's uh, it's just wild isn't it just as you think you're getting a handle on some teams they go and lose to the Jets or throw away fourth quarter leads and it's just it's just a wild season no one's there's there's nothing that is, that is certain in this season and uh Long may it continue because it's uh, never a dull week in the NFL. Certainly isn't, certainly isn't. And yeah, Steve's just alluded to. Those of you watching will have seen him pop up on the screen. But those of you listening, the good old-fashioned audio podcast route won't know who the guest is this week. But uh, Josh is off around the med for the next couple of weeks, enjoying himself and some much-deserved um, relaxation. So we've drafted in Dave to... Break down the chaos, mate. Steve says you are the <laughs> chaos master, so it seemed appropriate for you to join us this week. Absolutely, um, Steve. It's all very well you saying uh, you've loved the last week. You can say that with a winning record, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's enjoyable when you're winning. <laughs> it is indeed. But no, I'm really looking forward to getting into this because uh, yeah, it's just been a complete. Yesterday was just a total what of a set of fixtures. Yeah. yeah, really, really was a bonkers weekend. But let's start then, as we always do, fellas, with one thing that we all loved in the NFL this week. I'm going to kick us off this week for a change of pace, and I'm going to kick us off with just one individual play. It was a great game. We'll talk more about the game um, as we break this play down, I guess. But um, I just loved Josh Allen's hurdle yesterday. Wasn't the biggest play of the game by any stretch of the imagination, but this was the quarterback duel that everybody had been looking forward to since it was announced that it was going to be week six. It was obviously the the rematch of last year's championship game and could Josh Allen eventually get the better of Patrick Mahomes? And I think overall yesterday, Josh Allen outplayed Patrick Mahomes. The stat line would suggest that. Obviously, the end result would suggest that. Um, and Josh Allen has just been such an incredible story, really, when you consider where this guy was in his rookie season, the leap that he made, particularly last year, I think that that leap from year two to year three has almost been unseen, the likes of just how much of a leap he's took forward. But he's absolutely maintained it. His running ability was one of his greatest assets when he first burst on the scene. He was almost just reliant on it as his only really method of offence when he first came into the league. So he doesn't use it as much now. But to see him rumbling yesterday, Steve, towards those first down markers, and as the defender launches at him, I think it was was it Nick Bolton, I want to say. I might have the, the Chiefs player wrong. But as the Chiefs defender launched himself, Josh Allen just uh, he became a, you know, a sort of bloody Olympic hurdler for a minute, just leaped over the top of him, scampered for another five or six yards. And he just gave that look at the, um, at, you know, when the play was over, that just, you know, that, that air of confidence that said, yeah, I'm the man around here now. Move over, Patrick, didn't he? Josh Josh Allen is good at a lot of things and hurdling over cornerbacks is not something you probably put in that camp. You don't expect Josh Allen to be doing that sort of thing. But yeah, um he was he was sublime yesterday. I think this was a real comeback game for the Bills. Um it, it, you know, they've been wanting to get revenge after that uh playoff exit last year with the the infamous 13 second uh march down the field that um the Chiefs had 
to, in overtime to, to to ice the game and and to win it uh, after they their field goal to take it to overtime in the first place, um, and the, you know the, the the Bills barely put a foot wrong. Um, I think what they showed was their defense is good enough to to battle with the best. It's good enough to hold the best and to hold the Chiefs to only twenty points in their own backyard. You know, one of the best and most exciting offenses in the league is is impressive. Let alone a an AFC rival, and that's the, the great thing for the Bills. Well, is that gives them the um, uh, the advantage when it comes to if there's tiebreaker scenarios, they've got the win over the Chiefs, so that could could potentially lock down the number one seed for them later down the down the line. Um, but their offense was exciting as well, and I love the breakout of Gabe Davis. I know Gabe Davis was a was a bit more of a name last year, and he had some some really good games last year. He had that one game, was it five touchdowns in one single game? I think he had last year. Um, but the the first touchdown, uh, no, I think it was the sorry the second touchdown. Um, where they marched down the field and he launched one to him at the back of the end zone. That was a wonderful play um, to take the lead for the Bills. But um, it's just, it's yeah, it's just been a, a a really solid performance from the Bills. It's one of those games where it could have easily been a, you know, you come in the, to Kansas City, you write it off as a, okay, well, it's really difficult to win an arrowhead. Um, and they didn't. They gave a good performance, good good account of themselves. And I think there is, there's no real denial now that there are, there's these two teams are emerging as the, as the, atop the AFC. I don't think anyone's really going to deny that. And it's what's wonderful about this. What the best thing about this is that we get to watch these two battle it out for the next probably ten years. And we'll get this game probably probably once or twice a year for the next ten years, and that's excellent because it's another. I've seen a lot of comparisons over the last twenty four hours to another sort of Brady versus Manning era opening up. Yeah. You know, and that type of rivalry that I think we're going to start seeing because it's. Yeah, it's a, it was a, it was the, the the game that everyone's been looking forward to for probably three or four weeks now, and it didn't fail to to um, to intrigue. It was a, a really really good game, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad the Bills got it. I'm, you know, I think it's 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 good that it's not just going to be Chiefs all the time, and it's a real statement win for them as well. Yeah, it'd be good to see the Chiefs chasing this now, won't it? Because like you say, that that could be huge in terms of tiebreaker implications. Dave, we haven't had you on the pod so far this season, man. So give us your take on these two teams, um, not only for, for yesterday, man, but what you've seen through the first six weeks. Because I think, as Steve said, and we'll touch on the rest of the teams in the AFC um, throughout the podcast. But these two probably are certainly rising as the cream in that uh, that side of the league, aren't they? I mean, yeah, I mean, you talk about the cream of the crop. I mean, it is the Bills Chiefs are there, just a sort of barrel of sludge underneath, really, because you just can't figure out who's there with them. But just going back to the moment you brought up, that the hurdle, I think, is what it could be known as, because it doesn't have those sort of, you know, implications that it was a playoff game or it wasn't like the 13 seconds left that we had last year for the Chiefs to come back against Buffalo. But the hurdle is, is that's what's on the front pages of the Buffalo newspapers today is Josh Hurdle leaping over someone in the secondary. Wasn't the most, I say, it wasn't the most important play, but it was a statement of a play and it was a statement of a win for the Bills as well. And I say, Steve, he felt like they had to get this, not because, well, partly for the playoff implications, but there's a lot of road left in the season. But psychologically, you know, yeah. get back out there and you've got to beat that team because that's the game they would have had marked as soon as the schedule came out. It was week six, Arrowhead. We do not lose this game. And what I like about the Bills this year, not that it's a particularly insightful point, but the real difference is Von Miller. He, could ju- he was blowing up things all over the place yesterday. And yeah. I think he had a, th- a third down sack of Mahomes at one point. I can't remember what point in the game it was, but it was one of those Mahomes moments where you thought it's a third down midfield, gets them over there, and you're looking at points. Instead, Von Miller is Von Miller. They get off the field. I can't remember what they did with the next possession, as I say, but yeah, it's those game-changing players that they already had an abundance of. But now, yeah. even with injury issues in the secondary, Buffalo look like the team. As far as I've said, they're even, in my opinion, they're above the Chiefs. And not just on last night, I do rate them over the Chiefs. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this in the AFC Championship game. It's going to be brilliant. It's like a, it's, it's like a monkey off their back, isn't it? It feels like they this is they've really massively. Sort of got over massively. a hump, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all talking about it yesterday, weren't they? That it's potentially the uh, the preview of that game. Uh, like you said, there's a lot of uh, road left in the season, but I think it would be a huge surprise to anybody at the minute if it wasn't anything other than that game. But uh, like I say, we'll get on to the rest of the team shortly. Steve, what did you love in the uh, NFL this week, my friend? 
Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try and not wax circle too much about my own team because I'm sure we'll come on to them later <laughs> on. But, you know, the Eagles having a 6-0 record cannot be sniffed at. The only undefeated team left in the NFL. And we've got a bye next week, so we can't lose that next week. Um, but, no, I'm going to I'm gonna go elsewhere. I'm going to go stick in the NFC, though. And I'm going to give some props because I think he deserves some more props to, um, to the Seattle Seahawks being atop the NFC West. Who saw that after six weeks? Who saw that coming? The, the NFC West is a basket case of a division this year. Um, you know, last year we were all wax lyrical about how good it was and how all four teams could legitimately have finished top. You know, there's any one of them could have done it. And yet this season, um, the Seahawks, well, the three, three teams sit uh, atop with a three and three record, but I believe Seattle are, are, are top on differential or something like that. But either way, they're holding their own with the Rams and the 49ers, both of which they were expected to be way, way below. And I think this is just a testament to Pete Carroll and how good of a coach he is. You know, at the end of last season, I was I was very sort of adamant that it was either Carroll or Wilson. One of them had to go. It felt like there was a divorce coming in that relationship. Wilson's out the door. The grass is not greener in Buffalo, despite the fact that the NFL schedulers have put them on Thursday night football 18 weeks in a row. Um, so the, the, uh, Pete Carroll gets a, an absolute king's ransom for him. Um, and, you know, just as Geno Smith go out there, most people in the offseason, myself included, would probably have the Seahawks somewhere around number one pick territory. You know, they probably would have been most people's... Um, Somewhere in that region, you know, in, in you know, a, a losing record sort of maybe four win territory. Um, and here they are, three and three, holding their own, playing really good football. Geno Smith is playing at an elite level. Let's not even deny that. Like some of his throws, I know he didn't have any any passing touchdowns yesterday, but some of his throws over the last six weeks have been excellent. Um, if if that if that jersey said Wilson on the back and not Smith, you probably wouldn't really be questioning it, would you? That's how well he's playing. And the Seattle team, I don't think they, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they were in the in the playoff question come the end of the season. It's just a question of how long can can uh, Smith keep it, uh, Geno Smith keep it going. Um, and what's really impressive as well is that I think it, for certainly from from the off season, looking at the roster and from the uh, preseason, their defense was what was going to let them down. Their defense looked shocking to the point where that was going to lose them games. But actually, they're holding their own, and there's some young guys playing really well. Um, you know, there's a there's a couple of names on that roster that are, that are playing really well, and it's I think it, yeah, just hats off to Pete Carroll. I thought he might have been sort of coming towards the end, maybe looking at retirement. Done what he done with with Seattle, you know, uh, the the Legion of Boom is long since over. Is he just going to call it a day and, and, and sort of walk off into the sunset? But he's retooled. He's he's got a, an old aging quarterback who seems to have found a new lease of life in Seattle, and yeah. Three and three, I think, is a with that roster is a perfectly respectable record, and they absolutely blew away the Cardinals yesterday. The Cardinals scored three points on offense yesterday. Three points. There are more quarters than there are points that the Cardinals scored on offense yesterday. <laughs> That's awful. That's dreadful. So yeah, for me, Seattle Seahawks being three and three and, and atop the uh, the NFC West. Yeah, it's a it's a really good show, mate. And I think you know Pete Carroll was one of those names mentioned in the off season that everybody I think just assumed at the end of last season as much as anything that he would probably be on his way out, like you say, probably just in a in the form of retirement as such, you know. And, and he obviously would be able to look back with great you know pride in terms of what he's he's done at Seattle. But he almost does seem to have this this new lease of life, and he seems a bit reinvigorated. Kenneth Walker's obviously come into the lineup now off the back of injuries elsewhere. Provided a nice little spark in the running game yesterday. Um, you know, he got in the end zone near enough 100 yards or over 100 all-purpose yards. Um, they've always had some decent weapons in terms of Lockett, Metcalf, Noah Fant, who was picked up as part of that Russell Wilson trade, has become a, a reasonable piece of the offence as well. So, yeah, as you say, there's certainly lots to be uh, enthused about. Dave, I'm going to throw it to you from the other side, though, and look at Arizona because... This is a team that, again, if you roll back the clock, what, 12, 18 months ago, people were hyping up an awful lot. They'd made a lot of big sort of splashy moves in the off-season. They appreciate that DeAndre Hopkins is currently serving his ban. Um, but there was obviously an awful lot of noise in the off-season about the new contract that Kyler Murray was given, and in particular, a, a sort of very strange clause around him having to watch film and all of this, that and the other. Um, I would suggest that was a sensible thing and I would reinstate it in that contract <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, as, as Steve's alluded to, you know, only three points scored on offence. 
it essentially seems to be that teams have worked out when it comes to um, the Cardinals. Guard Zach, um, Zach Ertz when it comes to the red zone. And Kyler Murray will just scramble around for his life for the rest of it. And if you can just contain him, so set the edge, contain him, essentially, this offence goes nowhere, does he, mate? And Cliff Kingsbury has got to be... I know Steve will probably bring his couch hot seat tracker up in the next couple of weeks once we get to the halfway in the season. I would imagine Cliff Kingsbury's name is going to be right at the top, mate, because he has really got to be feeling the pinch, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, the, what you were describing there about them at the Red Zone, doesn't it just sound like a Poundland version of the Ravens? Yeah, you know, it's just... Uh, because uh, that's Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews, but it's good. It yeah. works. So there's something inherently wrong with the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, they're staring down the barrel of an absolutely horrific season at the moment. The one saving grace for them is that this Thursday they do face the Saints on a short week and the Saints have got no one because of injuries. Uh, but yeah, they, they just seem completely lost at the moment. And as I say, Cliff Kingsbury's hot seat must be scorching at the moment because I, I don't see how they carry on like this. Uh, you know, we're probably aware on this pod, but I don't know if any listeners are, that Robbie Anderson has been traded to the Cardinals today, uh, which seems like a possible resolution. But at the same time, it just it feels like a swing and hope more than anything. You know, a, a sixth and a seventh round pick for him, in theory, could be good business. Uh, they're not having to take on much of his contract. But... Yeah, is Robbie Anderson going to be the guy that propels the Cardinals to the playoffs? Because that's what they have to be looking at the playoffs minimum. Because that's what they've built this offseason. That's what they're targeting. And with an NFC West that is a complete basket case, do you think the Cardinals will be looking at this going, well, the 49ers are completely banged up. The Rams look, yeah, they've got no offensive line. The Seahawks are punching above their weight, to be fair. But the Cardinals fans must be spitting feathers. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think if you're any team in the NFC this year, you look at that NFC and you think, well, three of the best teams are in one division. So <laughs> there's divisional, there's all of the three divisional titles. Then there's, you at this point, you know, if the season ended today, Philadelphia, Dallas and the Giants were all getting in, that leaves one space up for grabs. And I think there's there's a number of teams on the, on the edge of all of this that got to be looking at. And the Cardinals are one, like, there's yeah. the, this Cardinals roster should be good enough to get them into a playoff into a playoff berth. I don't think it's excellent. I don't think by any stretch it's you know it's it's a it's a, a shutdown roster in the terms of best in the league, but it's good enough to at least do something something being more than what they're doing right now. And the Robbie Anderson trade to me just screams of exactly what this Cardinals team is. And they're just they're just trying to paper over a crack with another band aid. It's like, oh yeah, let's get another mm -hmm. wide receiver in because that's solve all the issues. You know, I, it looks like it's, it's since come out. It looks like Marquise Brown might be out for a, a, a pretty long period of time, yeah. maybe even the season. So that might explain why they've done it. Fair enough. And obviously Hopkins, I think is back next week, week seven. I think he was six weeks out, wasn't he? So yeah, he's Hopkins, back on Thursday. Yeah, so Hopkins back on Thursday, but they're they're pinning all of their hopes on the fact that Hopkins is going to solve this offense. And that so far, as Sean said, this Arizona offense is pretty one dimensional. It's pretty easy to stop. Um, and and you know, Kyler Murray was sacked six times on uh, on Sunday. Six, like for a guy that's meant to be evasive, you know, and and quick on his feet, and you know, uh, agile. Six times is a lot to go down. And no, no touchdown passes, one interception. Like, you know, for a team that have just given Kyler a monster contract and they've just locked down Cliff Kingsbury as well. Don't forget, he's under contract until 2027 now. So yes. if they fire him, that's going to be an expensive, um, yeah. an expensive divorce. Um, but yeah, I just don't know where this Cardinals team goes. Like, like you say, the NFC West is wide up for grabs and they just don't seem interested. Yeah. Odd. Yeah, a very, very frustrating team. Dave, I'm going to throw it to you, mate, for what you loved in the NFL this week. And uh, we've talked about a team there not living up to expectations. You're going to take us to a team probably well outperforming expectations, oh, mate. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, this, this is the first stage of the chaos that I absolutely love because who would have thought the Jets would go to Green Bay and run all over them, absolutely demolish them in the ground game? It was brilliant. I'm not if you're a Green Bay fan, but it was brilliant if you weren't a Green Bay fan. They 
ran 33 times, and that includes three kneel downs from Zach Wilson at the end of the game. And if you take those out, they're averaging just under six yards a carry on the, uh, throughout the game yesterday, which is fantastic. Brees Hall, what a pick in the draft. They've absolutely nailed this draft. And the rushes that they had yesterday, Brees Hall averaged 5.8 yards a carry. Michael Carter, who yeah, we were expecting to be the future of the running back department, has now become an RB2, but is still more than serviceable, averaged 6.8. Braxton Berrios even rushed for a 20-yard touchdown yesterday. That, uh, that's you know, almost going to vintage territory for the Jets when he was the only receiver they had for a couple of years. Even Tyler Conklin, the tight end, got a carry. It was just fantastic to watch. And the Jet, the Jets knew exactly what they had to do. And they kept the ball out of their own quarterback's hands. Zach Wilson only threw 18 times, 110 yards, 10 for 18. But he did turn the ball over. It was sensible game management football from the Jets. And it started with the ground game. And it continued with their amazing defense against the Packers that forced them essentially into desperation mode in the fourth quarter. Um, it, it was a sort of statement game where you think, actually, the Jets are legit, I think. Because they've stolen some wins here and there. Um, the, the Browns game it being a very obvious one. Not that I want to upset you too much, Sean, uh, this early in the pod. But th- this this wasn't a smash and grab win from the Jets. This was a complete game from them. And it, it was brilliant to watch. I mean, admittedly, when it was 3-0 going into half time until Mason Crosby hit a, a tying field goal, it was a tough watch in parts. But, you know, I love it. Go, go Jets. Yeah, it really was a brilliant, brilliant win. Like you say, it certainly was one that, you know, not many people would have pegged going in and like you say, absolutely dominated on the ground. Um, the aerial attack had been pretty good with Joe Flacco in there. It has sort of reverted more, like you say, to this sort of ground and pound style, but it's been built around, like you say, that solid defence. I think the pick of Source Gardner, which raised a few eyebrows um, when it was made, not because of the, the sort of any questions on him as a player and the talent that he's got, but possibly just in terms of positional need. Um, you know, people always want the sexier pick of an offensive player, don't they? But, you know, that's proving to be a really, really, you know, astute pickup. And then, as you say, they've added Garrett Wilson, added Bryce Hall, uh, sorry, Bruce Hall, um, you know, a really, really good haul just from this draft alone. Steve, on the flip side of it, though, the Packers, these have been a team that I have said since week one I had massive concerns about. I've seen nothing through six weeks that changes my opinion whatsoever. Um, the ground game that has been the forte up to this point, which has really bailed them out, was completely shut down by this really good... Jets defensive front, AJ Dillon, um, 41 yards off 10 attempts, obviously a key fumble in there as well, I believe. Aaron Jones, just nine carries for 19 yards. That's really not the kind of production that you're used to seeing from him. Um, I've questioned it all year, mate, and I think he's finally coming home to roost. Have we really got to start worrying about the Packers? Because I don't see at this moment in time a route to the playoffs for them, let alone anything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is time to, you know, roll up the shutters and let everyone see what this Packers team actually is. And it is time to absolutely panic if you're a Green Bay Packers fan. Um, this offense doesn't have an identity. They don't know what they want to be. Um, they seem to be a lot of just long, big splash play throws downfield that they don't have the receivers capable of making anymore. Devontae Adams is not in the building anymore. Valdez Scantling is not in the building anymore. You know, like there's those guys that you would have trusted to pull this off that, you know, funnily enough, have been pulling it off elsewhere are not there anymore. And you can tell that Rogers still doesn't trust his receivers. And as much as some of the the um, some of the receivers have made plays here and there, not consistently enough for the amount of passing offense that Rogers wants to run. Now, interestingly, Matt LaFleur's Green Bay tenure, they've started five and one every season he's been there. This season they've started three and three, and let's not forget who has started five and one in their division, the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings look like a good, well-oiled machine under Kevin O'Connell. So you know, I don't know what's going on with Green Bay, but what the biggest shock with Green Bay? I think when you saw their the the turnover on the offensive side of the ball and some of the players that were moving on, it was always going to be obvious that the the Packers were going to struggle to adapt to this new offensive style, but. The, one of the biggest issues that I'm seeing is the defense. The, the defense used to be a shutdown defense. You know, guys like Jair Alexander, you know, and 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 the secondary they've got used to be excellent. 
and they used to the defense would keep them in games whilst the offense maybe sometimes stuttered over over the last few years. This year it's just not there. It's just absolutely not there. Um they could not stop the run yesterday. As you said, Dave, like they the Jets just ran all over them with every single player on the roster. Um, 179 yards of rushing. They just could not stop it. And you know, when the Jets went up um 17-3. Um, sorry, 10-3, 10-3. The Jets went up 10-3 and, th- and Aaron Rodgers went onto the field. It's the third quarter at this point. I'm like, yeah, this is it. Here we go. Rodgers will march on the field, tie up the game. It'd be a really interesting end to the game. This is what Rodgers does. It's 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 signature. And they they went for it on fourth and 20. Uh, sorry, went for it on third and eight. Uh, Rodgers was sacked by Williams uh, to lose 12 yards. And that's when they went for the punt and it was a blocked punt, which then they returned... Um, for the touchdown. So the Jets go up 17 to three. Um, and it was just, yeah, it just, it, from that point on, you sort of knew this game was gone. This, this, there was no way that Green Bay would come back. This never looked like coming back. But what makes this, what makes this extra special for the Jets is it was in their own backyard. It was in Lambeau. Like yeah. in historically in years gone by, certainly since I've been watching the NFL, the Packers do not lose at Lambeau. Like that was, that's always been their, 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 um, mantra is that they do not lose at home because it's such a a sort of cauldron of, of atmosphere and this this year it's just not there it's the the packers are in all kinds of trouble um and it stems from you know there's there's a lot of there's a few teams in the nfc specifically that a lot of people were hyping up at the start of the season you know your traditional ones your your packers your rams your books they're just not there this year. They're just not there. And, the, the, you know, none of them have got a winning record. And I said last week, and I'll continue to say it, I'm not sure if any of them will, if all of them will make the playoffs, one or two maybe, but I don't think they'll be divisional winners. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely some time to start panicking if you're a uh, if you're a Green Bay fan. Yeah, most definitely. Let's start to go through a few of the scores then um, from some of the games that we've yet to mention. Uh, I hate reminding everybody of last Thursday night, but let's do it anyway. Washington 12, <laughs> Chicago 7. Uh, you do feel for Amazon, don't you? They've paid an absolute fortune for this Thursday night football and they've had two of the worst Thursday night footballs back-to-back of all time. Um, a real snooze fest, but Washington getting the job done um, in the um, in the Thursday night affair. San Francisco 14, Atlanta 28. Another one that probably surprised a few people, but the Falcons have been punchy, it's fair to say. Um, I won't let Dave repeat the way he described it in her group chat yesterday, <laughs> but it was very, very, uh, very well put indeed, Dave. Let's put let's just put it that way. Um, but yeah, the Falcons getting a big win. The 49ers, another one that seemed to just be stumbling along, don't they? Yeah, one week they seem really good. And then the next they um, put a performance like they did yesterday. Um other scores from yesterday, New England 38, Cleveland 15, uh, a real big win for New England, 23-point um, margin of victory, lots of it coming in the fourth quarter um, as Cleveland disappeared. Jacksonville 27, Indianapolis 34, the Colts getting a big divisional win. That's three losses in a row all of a sudden quality for Jacksonville. We've given, been giving them plenty of praise, but all of a sudden they're on a three-game skid. Um, and Matt Ryan throws for a weak high 389 yards in victory in this one, including the game winner with about 13 ticks left um, to seal it. And we've talked about the next few, so I'm going to break there, fellas, and go into this next one in a bit more depth because I want to start some of this week's talking points. I want to start with Tampa Bay. We've just talked there, haven't we, about should we be concerned about Green Bay? after their um, trials and tribulations this week, and obviously when they were over in London. Let's talk Tampa, because of all the games that were on the schedule this week, and the NFL always throws up some surprise results this week, more so than than most. But I've got to say, the biggest surprise this week is probably this one for me, in terms of Tampa 18, Pittsburgh 20. Based on the fact that Kenny Pickett was starting his second game after an absolute annihilation against the Bucs the week previous. Based on the fact that this is Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that we just expect will start to pick up momentum and start getting victories on the board. The fact that the entire Pittsburgh Steelers secondary, it seemed, was inactive for this game for one reason or another, and yet the Bucs don't, you know, don't even get a passing touchdown in this game. Dave, they're in your division, mate. Talk me through it because 
we all just expect Tampa to just walk the way to the playoffs, but there are surely some real alarm bells ringing here. And maybe at the age of 45, with everything going on off the field as well, I don't want to talk too much about that, apart from acknowledging the fact that he must be having an impact. Have we finally seen the decline of Tom Brady? Perhaps not the decline of Brady, but the decline of the offensive line. Um, you saw him yeah, really tear it into the linemen, uh, I think towards the end of the first half uh, yesterday against Pittsburgh. Uh, and it is a slightly different offensive line. Uh, they've had players leave. They've had players get injured. They've had players retire. Uh, you know, go to different teams. It's you, know, you can't always keep that winning formula go you can't keep striking gold with that position group it's just impossible with any position group really uh, and you look at you know compared to last season they were averaging two yards an attempt on the ground this year only 1.1 i mean that that's a huge difference i know we're only six games in but it's a third of the season i know as i said we've got a lot of road left but we're at the point where we think six games a third of the season is a decent enough sample size to say the books have problems on the offensive line yes they were missing receivers at various points to start the season. Uh, we had that absolute hideous game against New Orleans where neither team looked vaguely competent offensively. Uh, and it was only uh, the Tampa defence uh, that really won that game for them. And yeah, it, mentally, as you say, uh, we don't need to go into that. But something's changed. Brady doesn't look himself um, Physically, he looks all there, I'd say. It doesn't look like he's losing arm strength. He's not having the sort of Drew Brees, Peyton Manic precipitous drop-off. He's still launching balls down the field. And generally speaking, they're fairly accurate. But you know, a lot of it could come down to the fact that Bruce Arians isn't there anymore as well. There's just so many questions with Tampa that you know, they're probably going to end up winning the division because Carolina are Carolina, New Orleans are the the floor of what their floor was pre-season i was hoping for something a bit better but uh, and then atlanta seems to be the most um frisky team the the most likely to give them any sort of run at the moment and you think can atlanta go the distance i mean maybe but it feels like the books are going to sort of sludge their way to 10 and 7 9 and 8 and win the division. I remember a few years ago in the NFC South, the Panthers got into the play, won the division with a seven, eight, and one record. Um, and they, they got into the playoffs. And I feel like that could be the NFC South again this year, where actually you could have three teams that could win it at the end of the season. But, you know, it's a first round exit in all likelihood. So I, I don't feel any sympathy for the Bucks as a Saints fan, but it, but it is. Um, it is disconcerting to see this precipitous drop off. We we talked about this in the preview episode, Josh and I, and we had um, someone on from the from the Books Network channel, and and um, I, I raised the concern that there is far more turnover in Tampa Bay this off season than people are giving it credit. Bruce Arians is a massive one, like him going upstairs and not being on the sidelines every game. Like he's one of the most tenured coaches in the league. He's been around the block you know, a few times and, you know, he's a Super Bowl winner. He's, he's had long stints at several teams. Him not being there is a massive, massive loss. And I think people are not giving that the credit it deserves. There's also a turnover on that offensive line. You know, if you lose one guy in your offensive line, it creates a change, new chemistry, all that sort of stuff. But I think they lost two. So, like, that's a big change, a big, big change. And it's showing now that Brady's not getting the same time than he, than he did last season. You know, the, the Eagles lost handily in the playoffs to the Bucs last year. It was a really lacklustre performance. The Bucs walked all over the, the, the Eagles. And this is not the same Bucs team of last year. It's just not the same. Um, their their defence can't seem to stop much. Um, Brady looks, I don't know, it, it, is, is his age finally starting to show? I mean, we've all gotten so used to him that eventually it had to show at some point. And maybe we're all just like sort of numb to it. Like, yeah, it's Brady alone forever. <laughs> but it, ha it has to happen at some point. It has to. And so maybe this is it. Maybe his body is finally starting to slow down. And um, and maybe, you know, this is the season where actually it's no longer a, a, a sort of a done deal that his team will make the playoffs. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely uh, concerns in Tampa. But I, I agree with Dave, I think, there's not as much threat from intern inside their division that there perhaps is other NFC teams like LA and like uh, like Green Bay. 
You can see them being yeah. the four seed, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 We will see how it plays out over the next few weeks. Just a word on the um, on the Steelers. Uh, I mentioned that obviously Kenny Pickett was the the starting quarterback. He went out of the game uh, with concussion. Mitchell Trubisky comes in and goes nine of twelve for one hundred and forty four yards yes. and a touchdown. Yes. Chase Claypool looks reinvigorated and he comes up with some huge catches. We said last week, Steve, didn't we? If Mike Tomlin manages to find a winning record this year, it will probably be his biggest miracle to date. Neither of us gave him much of a hope of getting a win in this one. Just goes to show how well coached they are. Uh, but just in one word, fellas, I'll ask you both. Assume Kenny Pickett passes concussion protocol. Who should start in week seven for the uh, Steelers? Steve? I think uh, Pickett. 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 Dave? Pick it. I want to say Trubisky. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing how quickly fortunes change, isn't it? One week to the next. Let's roll through a few more scores on the doors. Minnesota, Steve mentioned them earlier, improved to 5-1. and one. They beat the Dolphins 24 points to 16, despite having to play on a sideline with 30 degrees or more heat than the, uh, than the Dolphins. That has got to be the best home field advantage ever, hasn't it? But, yeah, the Vikings overcome that. They move to five and one. Um, Cincinnati 30, New Orleans 26. Dave, I'll let you have a, a comment on it because I know you watched it obviously as a Saints fan again, but the Saints seemingly led for all of it until they didn't write at the end. Um, <laughs> it, it a... So obviously a bit of a heartbreaker, mate. But you said that even watching it that you felt it was inevitable before we came on the air, mate. Um, the main feeling I get other than chaos when watching sports is one of impending doom. And that was completely writ large yesterday when we looked like we were bossing the Bengals. We were all over them. And then we stopped scoring touchdowns. And he thought, well, Joe Burrow's going to Joe Burrow at some point. Kind of need another touchdown. But they just kept limiting us to field goals. And, yeah, we did turn the ball over on offense yesterday, which is fantastic. But, you know, we just didn't do enough to stop them. The Saints have yet to play a complete game of football, a la the Jets yesterday. And with the Thursday night game coming up um, and there's not going to be Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas or Jarvis Landry again. You know, it could be Jameis, it could be Dalton. We don't know, but it's kind of much of a muchness in that sense, I feel. I mean, this game is the Saints season because if you go to two and five, and I know the NFC is a sludge fest, as I said, but I don't see this team going, you know, what would it be? If they're not going to win 10 games, you know, if they go two and five, they're not going you know, eight and two yeah. the rest of the year. So they have to win this game. But yeah, it, good for the Bengals, by the way, as well. I'm delighted for them because you know, they had a heartbreaker against the Ravens. Give them some props. Um, get right. Yeah, no, absolutely get right. And all of a sudden, um, the Bengals top of the AFC North, partly because... And I'll pause again for this next one, chaps, to open this up to a bit of debate. The New York football giants... Um, come back from a double-point deficit in the fourth quarter to beat the Baltimore Ravens 20 points to 24. Um, I've just done a bit of a... Well, I've just done a Browns podcast for part of the full 10 Yards Network, the Believe in Brick podcast, and obviously the Browns have Baltimore this weekend, Steve, so I've talked a little bit about Baltimore. Seems to be a little bit of their MO so far this season. They've been really good for the first half or first three quarters of games, and then, you know, very un-Baltimore-like seemingly throwing games away. Um, we won't touch too much on that because the point I want to make is, is more about the team on the other side, and that is the Giants, who are everybody's biggest surprise of the season at 5-1. and one. Um, Obviously, Brian Dayball really, really outperforming expectations. Um, and this was another huge win. And you look at the Giants' schedule, and dare I say it, this is a team that when you actually look at the next few games... At the Jags, at Seattle, then at home to Houston and Detroit with a bye week sandwiched in the middle of that four game stretch. This Giants team has got a real opportunity of being eight and two or nine and one by the time we get through to Thanksgiving, mate. What a proposition that is. It's it's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, I will certainly hold my hands up. I think a lot of people wouldn't say I never thought the Giants would be five and one. Um props to to Brian Dable. He is so far runaway coach of the year. Um, he has done a, an exemplary job job with that um with that Giants team. Um 
some of the things that they're just they are they remind me of last year's Lions, but with better talent. They're playing hard. They all they're all playing for each other. They're a real team. They're, they're tough. They're hardworking. Like they're just really really competitive in every game. And I think you know you could uh, up until last week you could sort of write them up and say, okay, well they're you know they're four and one. They've got some tough games coming up. What's uh, what what do they look like when they when they play Baltimore? But this was a real statement win. Baltimore are a team that I think a lot of people thought you know this is a this is a loss for for New York. This is a Baltimore team that are experienced that will come in and and then handle their business, and they just didn't. And this New York team is staying in games late, and they are rela- they're leaning on their run game, and, and they're getting it done. And you know they're playing hard, they're coached well. Dable knows what he's doing. I think bringing in Mike Kafka was a really, really smart move. He is, um, I think he's calling the players and he's doing a terrific job of it. I, I said it last week and I will say it again. My concern with New York is what happens if Saquon goes down because that offense still runs through him. And I think if he goes down, they they instantly lose a lot of that spark. And I don't know if they've got it in. If, if Saquon isn't in the game, they don't beat the Packers and they don't win yesterday. Um, I think that's, but I know I know a lot of teams have got stars like that. But he's had he's got history for it. He's he's already torn an ACL. So if they can keep him healthy, they've got a real shot of going, you know, nine and one, eight and two by their bye week. If he goes down, then things could unravel really quickly. Um, but you know they'll just be annoyed that the two other two of the best of the teams in the NFC this year are also in their division, and one of them's undefeated. So what a year for that to happen. Um, <laughs> Another quick shout as well, Wink Martindale, you know, was thrown out of Baltimore for being too aggressive, despite the fact that every single member of their secondary was injured, has gone to New York and has, you know, set them up to, to go 5-1 and, and and comes into to Baltimore and uh, sorry, brings Baltimore into his house and shows them how it's done. So, yeah, I thought they were going to march down the field, Baltimore, and then um, uh, and then Lamar Jackson was hurried and then threw that awful interception right at the end. So, yeah, really, really tough, gritty win for the Giants. They are... Uh, they are five-one for the first time since two thousand and nine. There you go. Yeah, and as I say, Dave, probably everybody's biggest surprise package. Um, you know, obviously Steve's just alluded how important Saquon Barkley is. Obviously, a very heads-up play at the end of the game as well. You know, we obviously praised about his unselfishness and everything with regards to that. But I mean, just in terms of the wider picture, you know, this is a team that outside of Saquon Barkley. Let me just read you some of the names that actually got on the stat sheet yesterday. <laughs> Wandale Robinson, Marcus Johnson, Richie James, David Sills, Matt Breeder got on there for a minus six rushing yards. You know, that, so that's not really why you want to even be on the stat sheet. But you know, these are, are certainly not household names, but this is exceptionally well coached football. Um, you know, and ultimately that's what good teams do. They find a way to get over the line and win these close games. So it was really interesting in the post game press conference that that Brian Dayball was very, very quick to point out that when it really mattered how good Daniel Jones was in terms of that final drive where he went mm-hmm. five for five and marched them down the field, you know, question his numbers all you like, but in the key situations when the team really have needed it, he's been there. And, and as Steve said, Brian Dayball absolutely miles ahead at this moment in terms of, in terms of coaching the year candidate, Sean. Yeah, and um, with, on Daniel Jones, they declined his fifth-year option going into the season. And he's having it could be his best season so far. Yeah, you know, the five and one. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, he could be walking himself into a decent payday if this carries on. Um, another name that uh, got on the stat sheet, and I've been getting on the stat sheet quite a bit this season that he didn't mention, is Daniel Bellinger, the rookie tight end. Um, I think he rushed for a touchdown in London and he got another one yesterday as well. And uh, it, he's been a real dark horse for them. And as you say, the the receivers are a who's who of who, but it, it's working. And like you say, he's an absolute lock for coach of the year at the moment. Unless, um, and I don't know if Steve's mentioned it yet, the Eagles are undefeated. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if they go undefeated, then obviously Sirianni's going to be your coach of the year. But yeah, outside of Saquon, there aren't any names. Yeah. Darius, Darius Slate and Kenny Golladay, they've probably been the worst two performing receivers for them this season and the best known. But I, I love it. It's brilliant. It, it's fantastic for New York football to see the Giants and Jets finally doing something. And you know, the, the Giants have <laughs> they've got the third best record of the NFC. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's incredible. It, it really is a real Cinderella story, isn't it? And like you say, for New York football, that's often ridiculed. To, I mean, how many weekends have we had the Patriots, the Bills, the Giants and the Jets all win a game? I don't, I don't know how often <laughs> that's happened. Um this was the weekend of the underdog. It felt like this was the weekend where all of the all of your sort of bankers in your acker all lost. You yeah. know, all of the ones that you would have reasonably put a, a tick in the wing column, they all lost. And one final word on the Giants for me is that Dayball and Daniel Jones are doing with their limited bucket of receivers what Matt LaFleur and Rogers are not. They are yeah. they're very similar, I think, in terms of rosters and terms of offensive playmakers. And Daniel Jones. And Brian Dable have managed to do what Rodgers and Lafleur can't. Very, very good point indeed, mate. Very good point indeed. A uh, couple more games to wrap up. Um, Steve might have mentioned it a few times. Philadelphia are indeed 6-0 and after the game <laughs> on Sunday night football. Um, 26-17 over Dallas. Steve, let me give you a quick word on it. Seems from the from the neutral perspective, I only caught the highlights of it this morning, but seemed like the typical Philadelphia script, mate. Get up big early, get up big in the first half, and then just keep it at arm's length for the rest of the game, mate. That seemed to be the MO, and it's uh, worked again. Yeah, Philadelphia's got 109 points in the second quarter so far this season, which is the most by NFL team in any NFL team in history. Um, they seem to get up early. They're leaning on their run game really well. That line is excellent no matter what you throw at it. Jalen Hurts has developed into a, a much better all-rounded quarterback this year. He's seeing um, passing lanes. He's still got a lot of work to do, but he's you know he's making throws to AJ Brown, to Devonta Smith, to Dallas Goddard. I mean that trio of receivers there is enough to make any defense curl up. Um, but yeah, they're just playing really well. And I think what what was interesting last night, it got a bit hairy towards the end. There was a point where it was twenty to seventeen, um, and the defense came up big. Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Dave, thank you for for giving him to us because he had two picks last night and he was sublime. Um, he is such a good player and um, they intercepted um, Cooper Rush for the third time on the night um, and then the Eagles gave up, uh, produced a seven and a half minute 13 play 75 yard drive to march down the field and, and put it in the end zone, um, you know, so it was just a real sort of um, mature performance um, it, this was the banana skin I thought you know, if this is a test, this is the hardest team that the Eagles have faced so far. And don't get me wrong, this Dallas team is better than I thought it was. You know, coming into this game, it was a bit of like, it's Cooper Rush. He's not really faced many good teams. Um, you know, we, we should be able to take care of businesses, but they stayed in the game and their defense is, is actually really a lot better than I thought it was. So I will certainly give Dallas credit. They are better than I thought they were, but Eagles take care of business. I think one thing, as, as we've now discussed, the Eagles being... Six, no, I think one thing that is emerging in the NFL as a whole is I think you've got three top teams. I think you've got the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Eagles, who are your three top three in whatever order you want to put them in. And then I think it's the race to be number four and, and onwards. There's a number of teams that could be there. We talk about the Giants, we, you know, the Cowboys are definitely in that conversation. The Vikings deserve to be in that conversation. You know, there's a few teams in the AFC that could be in that conversation. So it's shaping up to be a real interesting um a real interesting season going forward, but I certainly didn't have the Eagles six and all. Um, and and what's wild about it is if you look at the Eagles schedule moving forward, you talked about the Giants schedule. Let me just list you off some of the Eagles games when they come back from their bye next week. They go, they host Pittsburgh, they go to Houston, they host Washington, and then they go to Indianapolis until a Monday night game versus Green Bay. But even then, Green Bay are not the team that we all thought they were. And then they could then they um host Tennessee and then they've got a difficult game against the Giants. So, you know, again, this 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 schedule, the Eagles could be 12 and all with barely lifting a finger. But again, going undefeated is very, very difficult in the NFL, with especially with 17 games. And I actually I know this will sound very, very interesting, but I actually hope they do lose a couple. Because I think going undefeated doesn't show you anything in the sense that you don't know how to come from behind. You don't know how to pick yourself up. You don't know how to play in the playoffs. So I hope they do lose a couple. And I think they will down the stretch. Going undefeated is very, very difficult. If we get to week 12, Dave, and they are 12 and now, I might have to sub myself out for five weeks. I don't know if I can put up with him at 12 and now and 13. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that the uh, week 18 game between the Eagles and the Giants could be for the division? 
It's testament to the coaching as well, isn't it? It's testament to yeah. the coaching in that division that, that these players, like Jalen Hurts was written off by most as just a, a, a backup quarterback who's never going to do much. And look at his turnaround. You know, give him yeah. a good receiver in AJ Brown and, you know, he's turned into a really, really complete quarterback. I mean, I'm just looking through the NFC here. I don't know if we've got two thirds of the season to go, but you look at the Eagles and think, who are they going to play in the NFC Championship game? Uh, you go through. Would it be the Vikings? And can Kirk Cousins actually not you know, flop about in prime time enough to get there? Because if he can't, then the, the Eagles. I mean, the NFC stinks outside of the East. Well, hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought, my friend, because we've got one game to finish off in terms of the scores and the roundup, and that's the Rams 24, the Panthers 10. Um, obviously, Carolina's first game outside of Matt Rule, and look, they look as pretty much a lock for the number one pick as you can probably get at this stage of the season. Um, and as we alluded to earlier, the fire sale has started. Robbie Anderson, the first to move. Um, keep your eyes on that roster because there could be plenty of others in the shop over the course of the next few weeks. But you just said there, mate, that the NFC is, you know, a bit of a... Um, what was the word you used? I said it stinks. I said there was a lot of sludge in there as well. A lot of using that, that word that, a lot this evening. That was the expression, yeah. yeah. So, as we've alluded to throughout the podcast, there's four teams with a winning record in, in the NFC. But I'm going to throw it at you, fellas, because... The NFC has, has often been criticised for having its real powerhouses and then it's a bit of a much of a muchness underneath that. And everybody's just assumed that the AFC's overall sort of level has been slightly higher. Pending the results of Monday Night Football tonight between the Broncos and the Chargers, which if the Broncos win, we will only actually have in the AFC three teams with a winning record. And that would be the Bills, the Jets and the Chiefs. Uh, I'm sorry, and the Titans. I'll give the Titans one at three and two. Yeah. The Titans on a buy this week. That's why I forgot the Titans. And I'm not buying the Colts with a winning record at three, two, oh, and one before on. anybody jumps on with me with that. <laughs> yeah, so this this AFC is just as bad. And and to be fair, you know, Josh is obviously off now on his two week holly bobs. I think he's decided to go for this because he just can't figure out these power rankings that he puts together every week because <laughs> The NFL this year is just sludge everywhere. And like I said, we've touched a bit in terms of depth tonight, in terms of the NFC. We've touched in length about Green Bay and, and Tampa, some of the sort of powerhouses we expect in pre-season, not firing. Let, let's round up, though, fellas, in the AFC, because the teams with the winning records are the Bills, which we would have expected, the Chiefs, which we would have expected, and we've all agreed that they are the cream of the crop. You know, if, if the Chiefs win that game yesterday... They'd be five and one, and the Bills are four and two. It's obviously the flip of that. So they are very much, you know, the powerhouses. Outside of that, you've then got the Jets at four and two, and then they say the Titans at three and two. If we're being generous, they've only played the five games. They're obviously on the early bye week. Nobody in the AFC North has a winning record. Outside of the Titans, everybody in the AFC South doesn't have a winning record. And like I say, the AFC West pending tonight could only have one team with a winning record. Is the AFC actually just as bad? Or is it just that the NFL this year has got so many middle-of-the-road teams? It's unbelievable. Steve, I'll start with you, mate. I think there's, it feels like everyone's three and three. Like If if you said <laughs> if I didn't look at the, the table now and you gave me a random team in the NFL, I'd just go three and three. Because that's just what I assume everyone is. Like, you know, it's interesting that you take a team like the Dolphins, for example. A few weeks back, the you know, the there was the Dolphins and the Eagles were both undefeated and they were the last two that were. It's interesting how quickly the Dolphins seasons unraveled. And obviously there's reasons behind that with Tour and what have you, but you know, it just feels like everyone's like sort of mediocre this year. No one seem, seems to really want to, to go above the parapet, shall we say? Um, you know, there's a couple I think if if you're certainly if you're the NFC this is the best chance to make a Super Bowl appearance in the last 10 years because the Packers are floundering, the Rams are floundering, the Bucks don't look themselves. You know, the, the, I mean, you've got the Eagles and the Cowboys in the East and, and certainly the Giants as well, but any one of these other teams, if you've got a half-decent roster, the Vikings have got to be sat there thinking, this is it. We've got our offensive head coach. We finally ripped the shackles off Kirk Cousins, apart from if it's on Monday night or Sunday night or Thursday night. Um and we've got a good receiving core and Dalvin Cook's back to health. This is our chance. This is the Vikings' best chance to get to a Super Bowl in, in as long as I can remember. 
So they're just yeah, no one seems to know what they want to be. Um, you know, having said that, if the if the Chargers do win tonight, they move to four and two. I think that's a bit more respectable. But even then, you know, I'm I'm I've started to see some people beginning to question Brandon Staley because you know you've got such a talent in um in Justin Herbert there, and that roster is a good roster. They should be better than what they are right now. And if they lose tonight and they go to three and three, then I think it's right for people to be asking questions. Because how long can you leave a guy like that in with a with a coach like that who's not getting the best out of him? Um, and I think Sean Payton might be getting a few phone calls this offseason as well. Let's just say that. Um, but yeah, it just seems like everyone's just mediocre. And I don't know who wants to come out and, and grab this. But I'm sure someone, I'm sure someone will go on a winning streak that we're not expecting and will be in the playoff conversation in, in six weeks' time. Yeah, Dave, you've given us your view on the NFC. Give us your view on the AFC, then, man, because, like I say, to me, it seems just as muddy on that side of the uh, of the divide as it is on the NFC. I think it's more that there's more premier quarterbacks in the AFC. You look at teams that don't necessarily have a winning record, you know, the Bengals and the Ravens, two straight off the bat, that you know, they've got MVP-worthy candidates in Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson at quarterback. But then let's have a look at you know, the NFC South, and you've got the Bucks and the Falcons at three and three. Obviously, Brady's Brady, and we've talked about him, we've talked about the Falcons, but you pit those two teams against each other, and you think, well, come on, AFC North is going to run all over them. And it just seems like, maybe it's just the AFC seems a bit sexier, because you give the teams a bit of a pass because how good Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are. They think, well, okay, they're not going to be like that, but they're not bad. Whereas in the NFC, you think, well, who are the best quarterbacks there? You know, before we saw how good Jalen Hurts has been this season, you'd probably be thinking Brady and Rogers. And neither of them have exactly set the world on fire. So then you think, well, has anyone stepped up to take over them? Jalen Hurts. Not Cooper Rush and Daniel Jones. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you look at the teams with the winning records, but you know, Kirk Cousins has been his usual self. I think that yeah, the Vikings are a strange team in that sense as well. But yeah, going back to the AFC, it, I do take your point, but it almost seems like there's a higher ceiling with a lot of those teams. You feel like the Titans could get on a run. They could go on a tear off six or seven wins in a row, especially in the AFC South. And although the Chargers do have those question marks over Brandon Staley, and they're so beat up as well. I mean, losing Ray Sean Slater is massive. But again, they're a team that has the tools to go on a multi-game winning streak. The Broncos could eventually figure it out. They probably won't, but they could eventually figure it out. So, yeah, I think it's just the AFC is a bit sexier and it has more upside. That's why I don't think there's as much sludge. It's th the word of the show there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> as there is at the NFC, which seems wholly uninspiring. And I'll just cap this by... Uh, Go back to your Sean Payton thing. The Saints hold his rights for the rest of this season and next season. The Saints are without a first round pick next year. You're welcome, Eagles. Was <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chris Alave really worth it? Currently sixth in next year's draft. I'll take that. <laughs> you are welcome. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Payton may his rights maybe get traded for yep. a first round pick. This like season, this season. Like in the day. I, I um. And do you know what? I mean, he's not going to come back and coach the Saints. Let's get something for him. Yeah. I'm putting Peyton on the trade block. Right <laughs> on, Just quickly, Sean, before, before I want to ask you something before we finish um, on the topic of the AFC. Um, Browns had a very uninspiring performance this week. And I think it sounds to me like questions are starting to be asked of Joe Woods, defensive coordinator, because that defense could not stop Bailey Zappi and the New England Patriots. Um, but you've got to be thinking with the with the other teams in your division floundering and the fact that you've got off-field issues aside, you've got Deshaun Watson coming into the fold in week 12 or 13, whatever week it is. Either way, you'll have sort of five or six games of the regular season. With him not playing any football for the last like year and a half, he's going to have fresh legs, you know, all that sort of thing. Do you think that if Jacoby Brissett can at least steady the ship and you can be, you know, by the time that comes around, what, like, you know, 400 or something like that. Do you think that the Browns have got a, a sneaky shot of creeping in the back door of the playoffs and then putting a run together just purely because Watson will be fresh, you know, and he'll be and he'll have eight, 11 games of rested legs and not have those those miles on the legs? 
Yeah, I said at the start of the season, I thought six and five was probably where they would need to be. Five and six would be a real stretch because I think you've then probably got to win all six of the games that he would be back for. You might get in at 10 and seven in terms of a wild card spot. It's probably more realistic in terms of 10 and seven now than I thought it would be based on the fact that the others in the division are where they are in terms of three and three. Because I, I certainly thought that the Ravens um, would be the class of this division and I thought the Bengals have got plenty of talent certainly on the offensive side of the ball that they would also end with the winning record so the fact that they are not performing yet gives me optimism um, in terms of you know Joe Woods and, and the defence you know yeah they did better yesterday in terms of slowing the run game down which had been a real issue for two weeks but that was at the sacrifice of coverage they had more men in the box there was more holes for Bailey Zappi to exploit and, and just on Bailey Zappi um, you know Take away the fact that everybody's conception of him was that he was, you know, a mid-round draft pick. Not a lot expected of him. Matt Jones will just walk back in his lineup. Let me tell you, he looked very, very good yesterday. Say whatever you like about the Cleveland defense, and it's not one of the better units yeah. in the league by any stretch of the imagination. But Bailey's up. He looked poised. He he didn't look like the occasion was too big for him. He played well within the system and the and the remit that he was given by Belichick. Um, and I actually think Matt Jones doesn't walk back into that side. If Matt Jones clears protocol this week, Belichick had a couple of chances last week to shoot it down. They, he was asked if, if Jones is cleared, will he play? And he didn't answer it. And Jones actually made the trip to Cleveland. Um, it was a game-time scratch. He was listed as questionable, but he was a game-time scratch. He wasn't declared out ahead of time. He made the trip. Um I think that performance from Bailey Zappi potentially finds Mac Jones on the bench, but we will wait and see. Mm. Um, but it, it is, like you say, mate, it's it's symptomatic of the season, isn't it? A two and four. Most years you feel as though that's probably stick a fork in you. You are done. We've seen all the stats about how, you know, teams with a losing record at this stage of the season, their playoff chances are, are very low and everything. But there are so many teams this year with losing records or with records just at 500, that it just feels like one of those seasons that if somebody can grasp it, and as you said, just actually put a little bit of a run together, um, that somebody may emerge from the pack. That is week number six, fellas. It was a tough week. There were plenty of upsets, as we said, along the way. And as, as I alluded to earlier, my Pickham's week started off absolutely disastrously. I think I was one of nine at one stage. Um, by the time the early window had finished on Sunday, I'd only got the Vikings game right out of the early window and Thursday night football. I saved myself with everything right in the late window. Um, so that sort of got me back to a bit of respectability. And I say respectability at five points because when I've actually looked at the averages that people have scored this week, five is probably about right. That's how much chaos there was in the, uh, in the <laughs> league this week. Louise still leads the full 10 yards pick competition. Uh, she leads the way on 57 points. Craig is in second place. Now he's caught up a couple of points this week. He's on 56. Uh, Josh won't be happy as he's tumbling down the table to third. Uh, I'm even out of the top 10. So certainly work to be done. Um, but good luck to everybody playing along in the Pickham's competition. As we turn our attention very, very quickly, fellas, to week seven, uh, the NFL scheduling gods have not been kind, I think it's safe to say, in terms of prime time this week. Thursday night football, Cardinal Saints, as Dave's alluded to. Sunday night football, Dolphins Steelers. Oh, my word. Oof. Monday night football, Patriots Bears. Oh, dear. Um, how, yeah, are the, not exactly, how are the Bears on prime time again? Again. Oh. Not exactly a stellar lineup, and to be honest, even in terms of the games in the in the um, sort of nine, uh, sorry, six and nine slates, uh, not an obvious slam dunk of a pick for Sky Sports. We'll see what they go with. I would imagine it may well be Bengals Falcons, which could be a tasty game in the early window. Cowboys Lions might be a good one as well if the Lions can find their scoring boots. Uh, but in the late one, probably all eyes will be on 49ers Chiefs. Um, that probably will be the pick, I would guess, in the late window. Dave, very quickly, mate, obviously outside of the Saints game, which I know you'll be watching, um, which game sort of stoked your attention for Week 7? Um, I mean, Titans-Colts is a huge game in the AFC South. It's not going to be a good game, but it's going to be a big game. It's got major implications. Um, so I think that could be one that's worth tuning in for the fourth quarter of if it's a close one, but I would not be trying to watch that from the start. And if Sky Sports dare put that on... Uh, 
Oh, I'll be having words. Um, <laughs> elsewhere, um, I'd be interested to see Broncos Jets, uh, not just because of me of the half being a Broncos fan, but I'm fully invested in the Jets at the moment. And I just want to see them keep going because I think if you go, is that game at mile high uh, or in power? Yeah, it's a, in power field at mile high. Uh, so if the Jets can get back to back road wins against Green Bay and a Denver team that has a very good uh, defense, good offense, good lord, a very good, uh, very <laughs> I wish good, they defense. Had a good offense, <laughs> oh, baby, uh, a very good defense, defense, defense. Uh, then, yeah, you again, you have to start talking about the Jets. As I've said they're legit, but they'd be five and two. And, that would be insane. <laughs> that would be absolutely insane. Yeah. You, do you know what? I love the excitement in your voice. You can tell you are genuinely here for it as well. <laughs> it'd be, really, it'd be the Jets with Zach Wilson. <laughs> Steve, you alluded earlier, mate. Your Eagles, one of the teams on a bye this week. So you have the comfort of sitting comfortably, picking your game. Uh, what, uh, what are you going to be watching, mate? Yeah, I, th- I thought the uh, Thursday night football last week with Washington Chicago was the one that, you know, each team's got to be on prime time once a season. So I thought they were just getting that out of the way. Oh, I'll put it in the middle of the season. No one will care about that. But we've got to suffer Chicago again on prime time. Oh, well, at least it can't be the 6 p.m. game, so we don't have to watch it. Um, but no, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of potential comeback games I'd look at, you know, like Tampa Bay, Carolina. That's a comeback game for Tampa Bay to, to put a seal on, you know, and get back to winning ways. Same with Green Bay, who host, uh, who uh, go to Washington, I think. Um, you know, again, a chance for Green Bay to get back to winning ways with a, what you would assume is a fairly easy game against Washington, who, by the way, Carson Wentz has broken his finger. He's had surgery this afternoon and will be out for four weeks. So it is the Taylor Heineke show for the next four or five um, four or five games. Does Carson Wentz come back in as Washington quarterback? Nah, I don't yeah. think so. That could, be his, <laughs> that could be his career as a starter done in the NFL. Um, but yeah, I think the, the um, a low key exciting game could be the uh, Seattle versus the Chargers uh, in the Ooh. late slip because Seattle are playing well. Geno Smith is 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 playing good football. And the Chargers, if they don't win tonight, you know, there's going to be some questions starting to be asked about playoff aspirations because they missed out last year and they can't afford to do it again. So, yeah, I think that's a tasty one Sunday, 9.25. Yeah, plenty to look forward to, as always. Uh, one thing's for sure, we'll have no clue whatsoever what the results are going to be, as has been evidenced this week. Uh, but we'll be back next Monday to... I've just got one all. final point. Sorry, Sean. Uh, I've just seen... Marquise Hollywood-Brown is not out for the season. Uh, he's out about six weeks. Um, but the doctor, who he's getting a second opinion from, is called Robbie Anderson. It is a Dr. Robert Anderson who he's getting a second <laughs> opinion from. I kid you not. And I thought that was worth interrupting for. <laughs> Brilliantly done, mate. Brilliantly done. Good way to end. Uh, make sure you tune in next Monday uh, when we break down week seven. Obviously, tune in to all the full 10 yards content throughout the week, the betting podcast, the go for two pod. Uh, not sure if Josh is doing power rankings while he's on holiday. I would advise him not to bother because, let's be honest, it's, <laughs> it really is a minefield, as we've discussed over the course of the last hour or so. But thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back very soon. Until then, this has been the Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast. <laughs>